You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, if you've been here since Easter, you know we're preaching a series of sermons out of the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Last week, George uh, <clears throat> showed us an image from an ad. It was an image of two doorways to quite a substantial building. And over one doorway, there was a, a sign that said, Average. And over the other doorway, there was a sign that said, Beautiful. And people kind of picked which uh, door they would go in. They would notice the sign, and some of them would divert themselves and walk through the beautiful door. Others would divert themselves from the beautiful door and walk through the average door. It's kind of interesting to see how people made those decisions. But George reminded us that in God's kingdom, there's really only one door, and the sign over it is grace. And that grace is Jesus Christ. And that is the theme at the heart of the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is all about grace. And it's at the heart of Ephesians as well. So in our text today, uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, the, the resurrection theme that is at the heart of grace is applied to our identity too, not just Jesus. Jesus died and was resurrected and seated in heaven. And in Ephesians 2, it's applied to us as well. So let's take this text and read it together. It's uh, found on page 449 of your pew Bible in front of you, the black Bible there. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So if you're able, once you stand where you are, take that out and we'll read it together, starting with verse uh, 1 of chapter 2 on page 949. We're reading God's Word. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not the result of works so that no one may boast, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? <clears throat> so a couple years ago, I um, got an invitation uh, for a fundraising banquet, and I signed up for it uh, for a cause I really believed in. It's a microcredit, microfinance uh, for those experiencing poverty around the world. So I went to this banquet, and I arrived. There's a big hotel, huge room, hundreds and hundreds of people. And I got to the registration table, and my name wasn't on the list. And uh, so, you know, we kind of figured it out. I'd, I'd registered. I was a little embarrassed. And the... Uh, the person taking names said, hey, you know, it's okay, it's okay. Why don't you just go in and find an empty seat once everybody is seated? So 
that was my, my thing to do. So I waited around, and everybody got seated, and they said grace, and there were a couple open seats, so I went to that table and sat down and uh, introduced myself as the person without a, without a seat. And uh, that worked okay for a while until the couple that I was sitting in their seats uh, came a little bit late, and I had to leave that table and find another table that had an empty spot. So I found that and introduced myself again as a man without a seat. And they were very gracious and accepted me. But, you know, it was a, it was a little awkward. Uh, I realized that they'd all come together, and this was, I was kind of crashing their party. Uh, but, you know, it worked out. They were, they were gracious and welcomed me, but it felt awkward. It felt like I didn't belong. Well, I think of the different tables we sit at in our lives, for dinner, uh, with our families, or with roommates, or holiday tables, or banquet tables. Where is it that we belong? Uh, who are the people we belong to and belong with in relationship? Is that the table we sit at? And where's the place we sit where we find rest because we belong? Well, it's interesting. We, uh, back in the 90s, we remodeled this sanctuary. And one of the things we did is we redid some of the seating here to be more accommodating to people who are in wheelchairs. Now, I don't know if we succeeded at that, but we tried. And we, we increased by like 15 times the amount of seating that was available in different places. And we asked Steve Tusink, a friend of ours here at the church, uh, who has cerebral palsy and is in a wheelchair most of the time, to advise us and look at this map we'd created of seating and, and tell us what he thought of it. We were actually kind of proud of ourselves. We'd increased so much, uh, so much seating capacity for people with wheelchairs. In the front, there were spaces uh, where chairs had been before. In the back, there were spaces where chairs had been before or pews had been before. And Steve looked at this plan, and here's what he said. This isn't right. I'm not a peripheral member of the body of Christ. I need to be able to sit in the middle with my friends and my family. And we all listened to that and said, it's the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. And that's what we did. So you see these cutouts in the middle of the, of the, the aisles that are because Steve gave us the counsel of every, where you sit matters. Where you sit matters. Several years ago, my youngest daughter was getting married. And we were planning, uh, part of the, the planning of this marriage was the reception. And the reception had a lunch involved, so we had to create uh, a, a seating chart for lunch. Where were people going to sit? I mean, who would there be a head table? Who would sit with whom? Uh, who belongs together? Who needs to have the opportunity to meet and to grow in relationship with, the, with each other? Who should we keep apart? <laughs> um, who should be honored and sit next to the persons of honor? Well, we ran across this computer program, right? It was about creating seating charts. Uh, and I can't remember all the bells and whistles in the program, but some of the elements were about, uh, you know, figuring out the different relationships and things like that. But I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could just enter into this, the names and the relationships, the stresses, maybe stress points or something, and then have it just kick out a, a, a perfect chart where everybody felt honored and they all belonged at the right seat. Well, I don't think it actually worked that way. It was a lot of hard work. But in, in this text today from Ephesians, it's about being seated in the right place. It's about walking around with no place to sit. It's about being seated with Christ. And then it's about getting up from that seat and walking in a new way because of where we sit at the table with Christ. <clears throat> Life is pretty demanding, isn't it? Don't you find that? It doesn't matter if you're young or old or married or single, wealthy or poor. There, there's a lot of expectations on our lives, some of which we put on ourselves, other people put them on, ourselves, on us too. The hardest part of bearing all these demands is that they do not fit together well. 
They're not integrated. Each pulls us in so many different directions. I mean, trying to keep up with the demands of work and family, friendships, church, kids' schedules, the house, ma maintaining our health, all the different factors that, that may come into your life. We eventually get discouraged because it's hard to succeed in all the areas at the same time. I mean, how do we hold on to all the things that we walk around in in our lives? I mean, I watch parents of young children uh, work so hard to make all of it work, but run out of time and energy before half of what they value is integrated into their lives. They sometimes suffer from the harriedness of the fear of missing out that drives their lives past the edge. And I watch older folks, or sometimes folks facing sickness, as they visit doctors multiple times a week and face the challenge of giving things up giving up driving, giving up activities, giving up mobility. And they may joke that getting sick or getting old is not for sissies. And I watch people looking for the right match of their passions and their skills and the job they'd like to have. For a community that is authentic and belongs to them. For time to live and not just do. But this can be elusive too. And where's the place where all this is held together? Where's the place where we can sit down and rest and know who we are and how it all fits? So how does this relate to Ephesians? <clears throat> I think we oftentimes think of uh, the demands we face now in our modern world as just a feature of the modern world and technology and the pace of our lives. We think that the ancient world may have been a simpler and a quieter place. But that's really not true of Ephesus. I mean, Ephesus was this busy seaport it served as a gateway to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Its people were business people and tradespeople, and many belonged to trade unions. They had schools and commerce and civic projects and lots of construction. And Paul had spent three years there, and he knew how demanding and conflicted life in the city was. He also knew how hard and unintegrated life is on the soul. So Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians and makes it very clear that our lives can only hold together in Jesus Christ. And Christ is the integration of all life's demands. He, he uses uh, in Christ, one of his favorite terms, nine times in the first 14 verses in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And he tells the Colossian church, in Christ, all things hold together. And this really means all things. I mean, at work, at home, conflicting things, things that seem to be falling apart, secular things, holy things things that we have done, things that we've left undone, all things in heaven and on earth hold together in Christ. Now, Paul is not saying <clears throat> that Jesus will help us cope with our demanding life. What he's saying is that apart from Jesus, we don't really have a life at all. We're dead people walking. He begins there in this cheery note in the second chapter. <clears throat> you were dead. He tells the church, you were dead because you walked in the way of this world that kept telling you to construct your own life apart from God. We knock ourselves out trying to meet all the demands, but without Christ, our lives can be frenetic with no center, no substantial identity, no place to sit and rest in God. We're trying to build a life. <clears throat> but all the effort at creating our own lives can separate us from a true creator of life. The soul cannot stay alive apart from God. And when the soul dies, so does the rest of us from the inside out. In verse 3, Paul claims that this legacy of finding ourselves out of communion, out of, out of relationship with God, 
is that we have become angry. We become children of wrath. That's the term used. And really, it's, it's the most of the destruction that we create in the lives of each other is caused by this wrath. It's the wrath that emerges because we've lost our souls trying to save ourselves. It's the Semitic term that said we really are children of wrath that meant we deserve God's punishment. But now grace comes in verse 4. <clears throat> Paul says, but God. He loves that little phrase. He often uses it to describe the gospel. First, he explains the, the desperate condition of humanity. We cannot construct our own lives well on our own. The things we've turned to for help cannot hold us together. And as a result, it feels like we are walking around spiritually dead. But God, Paul says, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are, Paul says, what he's made us, created in Christ Jesus. So it's, it's never really been about what we created by our own hard efforts. That is just what leaves us stressed and angry and wondering. It has always been about what God is creating of our lives. Let me say that again. It has always been what God is creating of our lives. And the way he is creating our lives is not by giving us instructions and advice, but through his son, the risen Christ who lives and works within us. This is where God seats us with Christ. This is who we are now in relationship with. This is where we belong. Where we sit matters. And this is where we sit with Christ. And Christ is not just this historical figure who died for our sins, although sometimes we present him that way. We say, look, you know, what it cost Jesus on the cross, and now we need to demonstrate with our lives a life of gratitude by living in a holy way. But in many ways, that just reduces um, salvation to being only a second chance. And we need a lot more than that, don't we? We need a risen Savior who has ascended to reign at the right hand of the Father and who, by the Holy Spirit, is still at work holding together all things in heaven and in earth and even the things in our lives, our very lives. And that is where we find our identity and our rest, sitting in this relationship with the new life he's given us by his mercy and by his grace. And there it is, the resurrection applied to our identity, death, Resurrection, seated in the holy places, in the heavenly places. And this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And now that is our story as well because of what Jesus has done. We are seated with him. Through faith we can receive that gift. I have to say, relationship with God is central. It's always been central throughout Scripture. So this is nothing new in that sense. But, but the act of the resurrection... His death is what finally gives us this great access to the Lord in, in primary relationship. The people of Israel, if you think of the, the history of, of Israel, they, they were um, freed from Egypt, and they then wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, longing for the promised land. But the true gift was not the land. It was being present and in relationship with God. He was with them in the wilderness, pillar of fire, pillar of smoke. They, he was there. And they did not need land um, to, to live in that central relationship. 
Or Psalm 23, there's this picture painted of the shepherd walking his sheep in green pastures and in the dark valley of death. But fear is released because the good shepherd is with them. No evil, for, uh, I, they fear no evil because God is with them. And then there's the table imagery that's there too. God prepares a table for them to sit at, even with their enemies, a table of reconciliation, a table of grace. And the recognition that this is where we belong. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where we see, sit matters. And then there's Mary and Martha. I mean, Jesus stops with his disciples at the house of Martha with his disciples. And Mary, Martha's sister, sits at Jesus' feet and listens along with the rest of them. While Martha's in preparing food for her guests, and, and she comes and complains to Jesus that she doesn't have enough help in the kitchen. But Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. So really, sitting with Jesus in relationship is where both Martha and Mary belonged first. We can make dinner later. So our lives, so often it appears that our, the demands in our lives overcome us. We walk around overcome in our anger, in our wrath. But God has just begun his work in us. That's what Paul is teaching us to say. Yes, we're torn apart by the nature of the wrath in our, within our own souls, but God, who is rich in mercy. Yes, adversity will try to tear our lives apart, but God made us alive together with Christ. He's working to put life back together in ways we never imagined. Yes, things will happen that make us feel like we are drowning, but God will not allow us to be overwhelmed. Yes, we've hurt others and hurt ourselves trying to get the, the life of our dreams. Yes, we've done damage to our souls, separated ourselves from God, and we're spiritually dying. But God came into the mess we created and made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. This is where we rest in our identity, seated with Christ in relationship with him. We are seated at this table of grace. It's really the Lord's table. We have a place card there with your name on it. And it's where we remember that we too are beloved children of God. We are family. And we are here, and here we experience that the God whom we worship is also walking with us in every ordinary place in our lives. And we can live into that relationship as we talk with the Lord, as we pray, as we walk in a brand new way because of where we sit. And that's really the thing. We get to walk in a brand new way because of where we now sit. Verse 10 describes this new way of walking. For we are what he made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our new way of life, our way of life. We're now, now we are alive in Christ. We get to walk in a new way. Good works, but not to earn a thing. God's already done it for us. He's done everything. But we get to join in the sharing of this grace and hope. That is the new way. That is the good works we're called to participate in. It's a great gift to give. Well, each year I, I love the opportunity to serve uh, in the ministry of UPC called Camp Side by Side. Uh, it's, it's UPC's camp that serves families with a child who has a serious illness. 
And the thing about this camp that I love the most is the community of those serving, walking in this new way together. It's about grace and hope. It's about invitation and freedom. Saying to anyone who comes, come and sit at this table with us. This is where you belong, at the table of grace, in relationship with us and in relationship with Christ. Whether we're filling up cup of uh, full of whipped cream for a child's dream snack, or listening to parents talk about stories of the valley of the shadow of death, we walk in a different way. A way of grace in relationship with Christ. It is a walk of hope. One more story to, to end this sermon. Um, it, sometimes you get to see the arc of God's work in someone's life over a few decades. I want to tell you one of those stories. I used to be youth pastor here at University Presbyterian Church back in the 80s. And there was a time in the 80s that a mother brought a daughter to see me because she had a question. But she sat in my office, sitting in her chair, all bent over, eyes straight at the floor. She couldn't give me any eye contact, and she just kind of rocked there. And I asked her what was on her mind. She said, well, I want to know how to pray. And I asked her if she'd ever tried to pray. And she explained that, yeah, that she had. And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, well, before I go to bed at night, I kneel by my bedside, she said, and I try to pray. And she would say a prayer, she said, and she would confess her sins, and she would ask God for help. But she was absolutely sure that God did not hear her. She did not say it the right way, or she wasn't sincere enough, or wasn't exactly the right words, or she was not worthy enough to be heard by God. And so she would try again, and then again. And then finally she told me, and after an hour or two, her legs would fall asleep, and she would just give up and go to bed. Wow. I mean, she was just walking in such guilt and shame with no idea that the God of grace wanted to give that to her. She was really the walking dead. Well, we did what we knew to do. We kept telling her about God's grace. We got her into a small group of people who were trying to sit in that place with Christ and maybe walk in a different way. We watched her life begin to transform as she went through high school and began to sit in that relationship with Christ. We helped to remind her that God was not like her very harsh father. And her identity began to shift. We began to see it shift. So now fast forward 20 plus years. I was down at, I'd completely lost track of this person. I was down preaching at an ordination and installation service for a pastor about an hour from here. And when I got done with the service at the end, I'm out in the Narthex area and, uh, who walks up? She walks up to me and says, Tim, I don't know if you remember me. Oh, I remember you. <laughs> um, but, but I'm here now. I'm now, um, I said, what are, you, what are you doing now? She says, well, I'm a clinical psychologist. I got my, my doctorate. And I care about people. And I'm a leader in this church. I'm an elder in this church. And she introduced me to her husband and to her kids. And she said, they said this to me. She said, I hope you know how much it meant to me to understand God's grace. It absolutely changed my life. And now she walks in this new way, seated with Christ, walking in good works, sharing grace and sharing hope. That's our story too. We get to see that arc in our lives. We get to walk in this new way. We can do it too. Let's pray together.
Lord, you find us while we are walking around in our demanding lives, full of mess, full of anger, children of wrath, and you make us alive. You seat us with you at your table. It's where we belong. It's where you want us to be. Help us to grow into our relationship with you, to know you are with us every moment of every day, and help us to walk in new ways, sharing grace and hope in you, inviting others to come and sit at the table too. This is what you want for us. This is where you want us to sit. This is what you want us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.